Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode comes with a content warning and brushes up against topics that could be triggering for our audience. You'll find specific details in the show notes. Please take care when listening. Welcome to another episode of WA Exposé, a podcast about local arts by local artists. As always, I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. What is a show gremlin? Today's guest uses this word to describe her work, but you may know her more aptly as a singer, storyteller and burlesque artist. Her intense creativity is clearly on display whenever she takes to the stage, pulling from multidisciplinary backgrounds to create routines that seduce, amuse, and sometimes terrify a crowd. Whether a beacon of light or a walk along the dark side, you won't soon forget Malika Moon. How are you? I'm all right. That was one <laughs> hell of an intro. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely want to know, though, what is a show gremlin? Um... Well, a uh, gremlin is almost like it's embracing the imperfections mm. of yourself. Um, I've never really seen myself as uh, a showgirl. Like there are a number of reasons. Um, showgirls are always kind of presented as very, you know, pristine and mm. perfect. There's also aesthetically they're seen as tall, thin, typically light-skinned, yep. if I can go that far and say that. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I've... Um, most of my life, at the very least since puberty, I've always been like, you know, the kind of short, stocky, round, you know, charismatic and entertaining, but not really falling into the category of the the ballet girls who yeah. would go on to be show girls. So show gremlin is almost like the philosophy of there's no attempt of trying to be something that I'm not. Yeah. So I'm just going to embrace the parts of myself that may be a source of insecurity, maybe a little bit of a sore spot, but like, you know, taking your your pain and turning it into a power kind of thing. Oh, branded yeah. insecurity. I love that. Yeah. You've led us perfectly into what is supposed to be our only question, but I end up coming with, with a bunch more. So for you, why burlesque? <laughs> um I think I can I honestly, it's really funny because I'm not sure how many people have heard the story, but I feel like I stumbled upon burlesque by accident. Oh, really? Yes. How? <laughs> oh, God, it was years, because it, it's been six years now. So when was that? I'm bad at math. What was uh, that 20? Don't, don't make me do math here. No, no, no. The, that's Two, the, the one, L zero, <laughs> was it tw- nine, eight, I feel like seven? it was 2016. Is, okay. I believe you. Something, listen, I'm going to say 2016 (laughs) and I'm going to say it with confidence. If people want to get mad at me for being bad at math, 
um, I'm just going to say they're anti-black. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Done. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was in a position where I um, got a job at a certain plus size retailer that was formally styled in size 14 plus, and Mm -hmm. that is all we will say on it. And um, my store manager just so happened to be the very lovely um, and breast in the West um, Ms. Sugar Du Jour herself. Oh. So um, she she was a great store manager. I was a so-so employee. Um, <laughs> but w- one of the things that she did um, was kind of tell us, because um, we bonded when I first started working there by talking about, of all things, drag race. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, like, I think at that was kind of her clicking moment of being like, yes, this is one of my people. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she would, like, talk constantly about, you know, burlesque. And at that point I had moved, um, I grew up in Mandra. I had moved from Mandra back to the city. I'd been living in the city in a while. And that means... Um, moving away from home meant I had stepped away from kind of, you know, the extracurricular performance that I was doing back then, mm-hmm. which was community theatre. lot to say about community theatre. Probably doesn't belong in this podcast. Different episode. Um, <laughs> I'm a worthy episode under a different title, yeah. But, yeah, it was really um, I, that part of myself because um, growing up I'd always been part of a musical family and always been done performing in one way or another. So having moved away and like just kind of trying to focus on working and earning money and like making my way in my 20s, I lost that performance outlet for a really long time. So when um, Sugar sort of opened up and was talking about the fact that, you know, she was a burlesque performer, she Mm. did burlesque, I think at that point, I'm not sure if that was when she was going to whether she told me about Miss Burlesque or if she was talking about the fact that she was going to the Bordeaux Burlesque Festival first. It was one or the other. But she um, told me about it and it was it was all really interesting to me. I was like, oh, um, like I didn't know too much. I think I kind of had like, you know, the the cursory passing fascination with like Dita Von Tees whenever she crossed into the mainstream and I didn't really know all that much about the local scene, be that burlesque or drag. It all felt mm. very, very foreign to me. It was ve- I was very sheltered back then. <laughs> also thought I was straight, but that was very funny. Um, <laughs> what a joke, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in a way, like, Sugar sort of, like, gently, like, prodded and encouraged and eventually was like, you, you need to do burlesque. Yeah. You need to do burlesque. And I wasn't convinced, but then she invited me to watch her in a Fringe show, which was the first... The first sensuality, I believe. Oh, wow. Which is a hell of an introduction. Yeah, what a place to begin. (laughs) So having watched that, uh, yeah, I watched my first burlesque show. It might have been that or it might have been a Lady Velvet grad show, either or, or. But I was completely bitten by the glitter bug when I saw it. And I was like, I want to be a part of this. I want to do this. So, um... I, I took my first class with um, Lady Velvet and um, I think I did a, a solo the same term. Jesus. I, listen, I, I wanted to hit the ground running with it. And um, from then, I never looked back. So you do your first solo that same year? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It was 2016 if we're counting six years. So yeah, my first solo was like the year I discovered Burlesque. I, I think <laughs> we started working together in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. 
uh, numbers, numbers, what are they? Numbers aren't real. Um, but yeah, I, we started working together in 2015. I did, finally did classes in 2016 and mm. then did my first solo in 2016. Wow, we talk a lot about the cult of burlesque, but it really sucked you in quite quickly. Oh, absolutely. I was like, I think I was just hungry to have that outlet to be out on stage mm. again in yep. one way or another. And there's that that fun little um, in as much as, Doing theatre, you're, you're learning someone else's lines and you're, you know, you're doing a predetermined story that someone's already set out for yep. you. So um, in terms of creativity, burlesque gives you an outlet where you are everything. You are co- costumer to whatever degree that you have to be a crafty <laughs> queen yep. or if you can afford to hire someone else. But usually you're costumer, you're choreographer, you know, your sound, um, you, you or at the very least sound to the extent that you're putting together the track or, again, Paying totally. someone to edit it. <laughs> yes. Um, but you still you, have to have the concept, yeah. Yeah, like you're, you're director in production, so mm. I don't have to go through a whole list of different things. Um, and in a, in, a, in a really kind of messed up way as well, since burlesque is so much of a solo endeavour a lot of the time, it's kind of like, well, if I screw up, I'm only disappointing one person <laughs> as opposed to yeah. if um, if it's like a group situation and you don't hold up your end of the bargain, it's like, oh, 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 no, there's all these people who are counting on me. <laughs> no so, one's going to say that you failed Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's um, it's it's a really liberating if you are someone who's a bit like anxiously inclined mm. um, in that it's like the only person that um, I have to be accountable for is myself. But mm. at the same time, it's like, well, you don't want to go out on stage and make a complete tit of yourself as loving as this community <laughs> is. <laughs> no, you want to get your tits out but not make a yes, tit of yourself. Yes, the, the, the party tits come at the end. You do not become the tit <laughs> unless that is the storyline. Completely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So um, just backtracking a bit because we did touch on that wonderful world of community theatre and that. Is that like where you started or was it all through schooling? It was just a theatre acting sort of world? It's complicated. I mean, um, my parents, um, like, you know, I'm a migrant who became a citizen as a baby and my parents, I'm coming from Uganda, um, just being African music is part of culture. It's part of life. You can't really separate. So I actually grew up in a family where um, my parents are both vocalists. My dad's a multi-instrumentalist. My mom plays the piano. Amazing. And as kids, they were always like, you know, performing and doing music. They were actually part of a band briefly called cool. um, Akim. Um, and with a couple of other, you know, African families that were into similar things. And it was kind of, you know, <laughs> now I recognize it was probably during things like Harmony Week, but as a kid, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> but um, yep. every time there was kind of like a festival, they would sort of trek us out and like put out the instruments. And we'd like, as little kids, be like bopping along on the side yep. with the microphones, you know, singing along. So music's always been, music was the start. And um, before community theatre, there was like, yeah, school choirs and mm. youth choirs and being singled out to sing solos for school concerts, yep. that sort of thing. So if anything, my 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 outlet into performance has always been music and singing. Yeah. And um, community theatre didn't come until I was in my late teens because, um, and that was purely by um, my older sister who saw in the community newspaper that um, Mandra... I, I forget what the theatre company was, but it was in Mandra. Yeah. They were putting on a production of Aida and she's... Choice, okay. Yeah, interesting choice. Mm. Um, 
We'll leave that there. Uh, she's and she's um, my older sister. She's she's a teacher now, but she's also probably like one of the best singers. Her voice is beautiful. She's mm. one of my favorite singers, like in the world. Um, she she wanted to audition, and of course she got the lead because she was perfect for it. Yeah. But um, I do remember if I can put my hand out, giving her a little bit of coaching because you know, <laughs> not in the singing department because she had that hands down, but on the acting end of things, I was like. We need, we need to refine this a little bit. <laughs> and we um, always love advice from our siblings. We think that's the best. <laughs> hey, she took my advice and she got the part. That's all I'm saying. Um, so, so that was kind of our way into doing community theatre. And it was something that was almost a bonding activity for me and my mm. sisters. So a lot of the plays that we went into, we did, um, yeah, we did Aida. Like I said, um, we did a high school musical where um, uh, we were all just, you know, extras aside from my sis- oldest sister who got that speaking role again. <laughs> yeah. And then um, we did Dusty um, where we played uh, Martha and the Vandellas and that as well. Again, my sister played Martha and me and my <laughs> other little sister were the Vandellas. So it was it was always just fun more yeah. than anything. And the entry point's always been music. Yeah. It sounds like at the very least. So is there a reason why like obviously the cult of burlesque and the pool of sugar du jour definitely like played a part there? <laughs> I was hypnotized <laughs> by her hypnotized. tassel dwelling. <laughs> hypnotized by sugar we love to see. Yeah. Is there a reason that it was um that it, for you it's become burlesque as like the focal point over music and over singing? Because you've got a great voice if I do say so myself. Oh that's very kind of you to say. Um, I'm not sure Sure. I think in a in a way, creating routines in burlesque felt like it gave me more of a scope, which mm. um which is not to say that like singing is limited, but uh, yeah, why why burlesque and not singing? I don't I don't I'm know. mad about it. I'm like, why burlesque and not singing? <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you come with me? No. <laughs> Of late, I have been thinking and wanting to reconnect more with the singing end of things. I'm not sure why, probably in part to do with me just getting older and wanting to, you know, Mm. maybe use my creative voice in different ways. I think part of the reason why I felt limited in um, singing beforehand is that I wanted to tell my own stories and I've never been confident in terms of like, you know, composing and mm. writing my own music. Hard. It's it's a whole thing. So in as much as there is like music out there that I love, I love to pieces and I love, you know, doing covers of other people's tracks. Um, part of me was like, well, if I want to get up on the stage and I want to sing something, I would love to sing something of my own. But at the same time, I guess it's that struggle of like, am I saying anything that like, you know, anyone even cares about? <laughs> 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 yep. Yes, understood. It's, 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 always, it's always a struggle. And um, I suppose if I am honest with myself, um, I have gotten a little complacent in a way in that, um, again, having been doing this for six years, um, I kind of know, know my audience and I know what I can present and I know... Um, what will be responded to in certain ways. Um, Mm, Yes, fair. So trying something new is scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. And then like the the lexicon of music that's considered to be like canon in popular culture Mm. is really hard to like wrap your head around, especially if you want to put out something that's like your own, but you know what the expectations are 
of mm. popular music. It's quite a difficult thing. But when you do burlesque, what's so cool about what you're doing especially is that you go like, I've got this track, I like this music. Mm. And then you can make a choice to play with it or play against it. Mm. Exactly. So burlesque, you are starting from something. There's mm. always a point like, um, I'm a very story heavy person, even if I'm the only person who knows exactly what the story is <laughs> yep. in my head. Um, so nine times out of sen, 10, sen. If I can get, yep. sen, sen, <laughs> that's a new number. It's between um, 11 and 10. Um, we're, we're just going to call it. It's like the new smarch from The Simpsons. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, nine times out of 10, I get an I story. Can I get words right <laughs> One. I love what you're doing. <laughs> I'm just making up a new language. You can say whatever you want in this new language, and then technically you're not wrong. <laughs> that that's that's the thing about creativity, you know? You can't be wrong. Oh, oh. The, the, the segue. <laughs> uh, no, it feels like something I say to like students when I'm in class with them teaching them. I'm like, there's no wrong way to move unless you're doing like hate symbols, don't do that. Uh, but yeah. other than that, no, no wrong way to move. Just do what feels good. Um but yeah, um, nine times out of ten, I have forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm sure it was really important. I'm sure it was super profound. Yeah. It was going to be great. Yeah, oh. What was really great about that is that you then went on to say something probably even more profound about how you talk to your beautiful students and like uh, the way, like there's no wrong way to move your body. Mm, That's yeah. really special too. It's about like, yeah, doing what feels good and connecting with the audience in a way. It's really funny because I taught a workshop and um, it's the whole thing of like, you know, your students teach you, cliche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it made me think a little bit about how I was um, teaching people about like audience connection in different ways because um, uh, something a lot of beginner performers struggle with, um, and I'm talking beginner, beginner, like there are some people, um, myself included, um, who have the <laughs> advantage of having like crossed that boundary of getting on stage when they were very young. So at that point, like, it's second nature to us and we don't really have to rehearse the idea of, like, being on stage because, like, we know the protocol yeah. even if we don't necessarily know the language for it. Mm. Um, whereas other people, um, a lot of wonderful people are coming in and, you know, doing classes and doing grad shows and it is quite literally the first time these people have stepped on the stage. Wow. Um, particularly in beginner courses. And so you're going to have to, like, you know, work through the basics with them but also they've got, uh, in some cases, they get over that hurdle and mm. it's beautiful to see of like their first performance and at the end they're like oh my god and so proud of themselves um but one thing um I think I was like centering my performance style a lot because I was talking to them um students in a workshop and I was mentioning the idea of eye contact of that like you know you need to make sure your chin's up and your eyes are out mm -hmm. you're making eye contact with the audience you're looking at them and you're not afraid of them but um, there was um, one of the students in my class, the way that she was moving, like she quite often had her eyes down. And the way that another student observed it was that they were like, well, she actually looks like a bit mysterious and seductive when she does that. Oh. And that made me think that I was like, of course, like I don't necessarily want to be teaching people to perform exactly like me or think mm. exactly like me. You know, yes. play to your strengths if you are someone and I if I recall correctly, she said that she does feel a bit uncomfortable making like direct <laughs> eye contact with the audience. But 
if, again, the whole show gremlin philosophy, take take your insecurities and turn it into your strengths. If you make that your your persona as a performer, that you are a kind of mysterious, coquettish, like the audience has to earn eye contact with you because that's another level Ooh. of intimacy, then that could become your signature. When we talk about the art of the tease, that's also another element that you're playing with there is like in the face, not just necessarily in the items of clothing you're taking off. Oh, absolutely. It's it's actually funny that you bring up the art of the tease because I feel like that was something that I really struggled with for a long time. Like it it took me a minute to get into my persona, I think. I, it wasn't until I um created um, the Believer Act and refined it and tweaked it and then finally performed it um, close to, but not 100%, but close to, mm-hmm. A hundred percent at the um, Miss Burlesque finals in 2020, um, primarily the Believer Act. That was like, I think the first time that I've ever walked off stage and been like, yes, I left everything there. I couldn't have done it any better even if I'd tried kind of thing. Yeah. So that's a... That's a moment in like translating intentions too. Yeah. Like going from being like, okay, well, this is like my intention going into something and then walking off stage being like, oh, I actually think I delivered (laughs) the message I was going out there to deliver. How fun. (laughs) Even though there's not a lot of tease in that act. But um, in in, in terms of, yeah, like what I was saying, out of the tease, it was something I felt like I struggled with because I just didn't see myself as sexy. I didn't see myself as a sexy person. I was Mm. like, what? what is this? What do you, what do you want from me to like, be like, I, I did a weird shimmy. I know I made a noise and I realized people can't see me. I mean, I had a great time. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. I was like, oh, this, this is weird and it feels unnatural. Um, so a lot of that was like getting over discomfort with myself, getting over like any kind of hangups and issues that I have with my body. Because, you know, at the end of the day, sweetheart, you're getting your kid off in front of a bunch of people. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to go up there and be so vulnerable if you are obsessing over, you know, every lump and bump and cellulite and whatever else you're going on yeah. with. It's like at, at some point, you know, you just have to deal with it, whether it's fake it till you make it or whether you can stand in the mirror and tell yourself that, you know, you love what you see until yep. you believe it. But that that hurdle and discomfort with my body was like I think making me struggle with the idea of like you know being seductive and playful Mm. with an audience because I was like I don't feel that way yeah yeah it's hard to get out on stage and just blatantly lie to people Mm. as well I mean that whole fake it till you make it thing is great in like in theory Mm. really hard to do in practice because like the hardest thing we can do as any performance style is to just lie Yeah. Yeah. All performances on some level are coming from a place of truth. Mm. There were a lot of things that like, you know, I had to work through. I think that's why I I found a lot of comfort in character work at the beginning. And Mm. I was always trying out like different characters and different personas. So um, like I said, like that first act that I created where I was like, in in as much as it's like wild and wacky and there's like the pagan and blood and blah um (laughs) it was one of the first act where I was like this feels like me this feels like me taking what's in my brain and putting Mm. it directly on a stage and it being like as close to as I imagined it as Mm. possible because there was always like you know the acts that you imagine but you're like you know you're frustrated because you're limited by budget or you're limited by (laughs) skill or you're limited by um 
you know, God knows what other reason you're like, like, what is it? Do you, do you have the money to do it? Do you have the skill to do it? Or do you have the time to put it together as well as it needs to be done? Uh, It's like pick one or two. (laughs) Any artistic pursuit, whether it's like visual arts, dance, burlesque, music, whatever it may be, that beginning part is always like, well, I don't have the time resources or energy to do the thing because the accessibility of most art forms can be Mm. elitist. And I say that a lot, but I'm going to keep saying it. (laughs) No, no, true. Oh, there, there is a running joke in burlesque that you throw together a costume for the first time you do an act and you're like, I will put together a better one the next time I do it. <laughs> and then like five years later, you're still using like the same like clips, yeah. <laughs> uh, stapled together costume that's held together by like, you know, hot glue and dreams. And then you're <laughs> like, no, no, someday I am going to put together <laughs> the, uh, an actual costume that is worthy of this act. <laughs> but people keep booking you for it and you yeah. don't have time to put together a new costume because yeah. people keep booking you for it. Totally. Well, I mean, like, whatever works at that point. <laughs> You're like, listen, if no one's complaining, we're, we're going to keep making this yeah. work. So long as no one can see the fraying edges of this, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Oh, it was very funny. Um, what was it? The, there was that documentary um, that was on Netflix for a while, Burlesque Heart of the Glitter Tribe. I think it focused on yeah. Portland Burlesque screen and one of the performers said something about how you need to make sure your costumes are so well done like even like on the insides and the seams are all like perfectly matched because she's like oh the audience is so close that they like see what it looks like when you take it off and I was like who's we (laughs) (laughs) we we need to we are we speaking French (laughs) like what 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 is this I I don't identify with that at all but like I mean good for you good for you if it brings you joy um absolutely do it make sure your costumes are perfect but yeah I'm sailing in on like um what is it a bad wig and a and an amazon robe sometimes but if i <laughs> if i can sell it if i can sell the if i can sell it as is a famous line from one of my acts you know um <laughs> if i can sell it <laughs> um then i will sell i will sell until the cows come home i will sell like the rent is due tomorrow <laughs> um uh sometimes it hasn't worked out that that's when it doesn't work out for me like to go on a bit of a tangent like i've been doing this entire thing yeah um when it doesn't work out is when I cannot, when I don't believe the bullshit myself in my own head. And it has mm. happened a couple of times that I've, yeah, yeah. when I've gone out on stage and I haven't been confident, I haven't bought the story or I haven't fully formed what the story is in my head yep. or I am actually thinking like, oh, this costume is crap or this, this isn't working or like freaking out at the audience. Um, that's when like I can feel a dip and I'm like, yeah, oh, this isn't working. This isn't working. And you don't want ever want to get into that feedback loop when you're on the stage, but, mm-hmm. but it happens sometimes. Not every performance is a winner. Yeah. Then you've got to like carve out 10 minutes on Sunday to fix that. Like you've, mm. got, you've got to figure out your actual time to sort that yeah. out for you yourself um i think that's a perfect place for us to take a little break i'll let you finally have some of that tea that you've been eyeing off and and we come back we're going to talk about the local art scene oh exciting selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And we're back. I'm still joined by the delightful Malika Moon. And just before we went to break, we were talking about classes and teaching and how you got into the industry. Mm-hmm. But now that you're fully cemented as the incredible performer that you are, <laughs> I don't laugh. <laughs> All right. I'm very no. serious. I, be- I believe again. you. No. I believe you. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I want to know about how you perceive the local art scene here in Western Australia and more specifically Perth. Um, I got an interesting perspective on it when I got to, you know, travel interstate mm. and perform interstate for the first time with um the um abf mm-hmm. i feel like that was this year <laughs> i think it was um did you you did melbourne right yes yeah. time is a circle and i actually cannot like i mean um <laughs> if i can say the p word the the what is it the panorama the, yeah <laughs> the the papadama was gonna call it um the pandemic <laughs> I'm, 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 dumb, I'm dumb being silly with the pandemic we're not on like Twitter or TikTok, they're not going to censor me for saying that. Um, <laughs> with the pandemic, I don't even know what time is anymore. But yeah. um, with that whole thing. Um, so I, ABF, for people who don't know, is the Australian Burlesque Festival. Yes. Sorry. With my acronyms, I'm like, I'm assuming everyone knows what I'm talking <laughs> about. Um, so I got to perform in Melbourne. It was um, very, uh, a, a wonderful experience. Um, I stayed with um, a performer, Vincent Price, who... Um, they, they, they actually won uh, Fresh Faced Follies. Incredible. Which was uh, such a fun performance to watch. I also didn't know Fresh Faced Follies was a competition. So that was like a whole, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a show for the new performers. And they were like, and the judges. And I was like, oh, oh okay. So let, <laughs> let's let watch this then. Um, one of the more delightful things about Fresh Faced Follies that you um uh, our lovely local um, Autumn Days mm. performed in it as well. She did so well. Um, I, I love that act. It was the Barbarella act that yeah, she did. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's just so fun. Um, one of the things uh, watching that uh, performance was just like seeing how people in the different scenes um, perform. It was a pretty good mix um, as well. Oh, the funny thing I was going to say is because um, a lot of those people had been selected for Fresh Face Follies um, like two years earlier at the start of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, some of them were title holders and a lot more of them were like more seasoned performers <laughs> than they gonna, were at yeah, the time. I was going <laughs> to say, that's like, like the best part about it is, is being like, okay, when Autumn applied for it, Yes, sure, fresh faced. But then when she went into it, it was the same year she competed in Mixed Burlesque. Yeah, so it's like, exactly. okay, <laughs> go on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was a good mix and it was interesting seeing the different tastes um, because Melbourne scene, like, um, just from an observational standpoint, mm-hmm. 
they seem to be very like traditional and classic heavy and have a, like a lot more showgirls. Like um, there was like some diversity in body type, thankfully. Um, but there was a lot more of a kind of like, you know, tradition, what they call traditional or classic burlesque. It's really, mm. it's neo burlesque because, you know, we're not existing in the golden age of burlesque anymore. Totally. So people are bringing kind of a modern twist to it. But there was a lot more of that. And the judges, the Melbourne judges who were scoring, you know, performers from across the country, they tended to rate those acts very high. Like the um, second uh, place finisher and... Um, and a couple of other people who scored quite well and the judges seemed to receive quite quick, quite well were the ones doing traditional acts. There were there were two two novelty acts as well though, mm-hmm. like including um Vin- Vincent's act. It's just great. It's so fun. Um, I love a good fun act. But um, compared to like there were certain acts that I thought would do quite well. There was even one act in particular. I cannot remember the name of the performer, but it was like more of a metal. Um, kind of act and mm. I could literally watch it and be like I think that act would do well in Perth and then like sitting back and thinking well why do I think that why do I think that yeah. and um, I think in Perth it's like literally the isolation <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're so far away from everything and everyone and like many scenes as well there is that overlap between you know drag and burlesque yeah. so it's just that lovely delicious mix Um but the isolation makes this a bit weird and I I, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I do. I love it. There there are things that I um, have like, you know, tried out here that I'm like, I wonder, I, I'm not sure how well it would go down elsewhere, but yeah. um, if the people here love it, um, I love it, of course. Uh, there like was your chandelier based act, <laughs> which is a particular favourite of mine, but does involve some skills reaching it does indeed oh it's always delightful I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil the magic for some people but this is like behind the scenes secrets of showbiz I am (laughs) not actually doing that voice people (laughs) multiple times I have performed that act and people have asked me was that you like screeching like tone and I'm like no I I would I wouldn't do that to my voice but but I love that you thought I did it but I remember the first time I heard it I was in the dressing room and I almost snapped my neck being like, what's she doing to herself? <laughs> She's gonna hurt herself. But then I but then I got the pleasure to watch her and was like, uh no. that makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I will maintain until the day I die, and I don't know whether you agree or not, that being a singer makes you a better lip syncer because you, we just know what your your mouth's meant to look like when you sing in certain words. So yeah, yeah the amount of times I've been lip syncing and people were like, Was that you talking? And yep. I'm like, well, though people sometimes just ask delightful questions that you're like, no, but thank you. Where um, I, I performed when I used to perform old fashioned love story from the wild party that I did get someone coming up to me after once and being like, did you write that song? And I was like, oh my God, that is adorable. No, no, I did not. I should have just claimed it. Honestly, I, I mean, should have just said yes. Yeah. There's some sort yes. of magic being like, I was your introduction to that. <laughs> How fun for you. Now you get to go and like experience this cool thing. Yeah. We love Perth's weirdness. The isolation makes it difficult sometimes. So the community itself, I think there are some changes that are being made for the better mm. in terms of like, you know, gender representation, the the change from Miss Burlesque to Mix Burlesque can only be applauded. Of course. Like the there there is the question of like, you know, the the separation of boylesque has always 
felt a bit silly to me because I'm like, it's all burlesque. It's all burlesque. Yeah. I always found that even, I mean, I'm probably wrong in like my history of it, but I always found being like, oh, boylesque was kind of the same as being like, oh, it's not a postman. It's a post woman. Mm. <laughs> you're like, okay, why? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Cause like, um, the, the reason that like, you know, gender division exists initially is because of representation. Mm. And I can't speak for the scenes all over, but the fact that there is so much, you know, gender play and gender fuckery within the Perth scene, mm. um, why would you really want to put that firm separation between, you know, burlesque and boylesque and where does that leave the performers that either identify as non-binary or want to present in a more androgynous manner? Because mm. um, if you're separating it to just the two, you're basically telling them, you know, you have to pick one regardless of where you want your persona to be. And that that doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely... Um, yeah, like as, so like I said, it, it was like a good move, a, yes. a great move that we love. Um, in terms of representing, um, you know, racial diversity as well, you know, we had um, Jojo Firestar coming up with um, biposity in um, Perth and mm. putting that on during Fringe and just trying to put out there the representation for, um, you know, um, BIPOC members of the burlesque community. Um, even when I went to Melbourne, um, the show that I actually performed in was The Blaze Out. That was organised by um, Kitty Obsidian, who is a um, First Nations performer based on um, the East Coast in um, Nam, I believe I'm saying that correctly. Um, and uh, they were involved in putting that show together and just kind of collecting, <laughs> 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 collecting the, again, the BIPOC performers from um, all over the nation. Collecting, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Very, fine, it's fine. We're all friends. Um, <laughs> Very gotta catch them all vibes, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, what is it? The Pokemon equivalent mm. of putting together a burlesque show. Um, honestly, they did a great job curating the lineup because there were so many performers that like I saw that I've never been able to witness in person and getting to see them create their art on stage as well. Like I, I was just happy to be there, honestly. Mm. I was as sick as a dog because that was, you know, mid-pandemic era. Not sick with COVID but just <laughs> sick. Um, but getting up there and um, doing my thing uh, with like, I don't know, those shows are so rare. They, I, they, yeah. the, where it is like that feeling backstage that feels like home and it feels relaxed and I don't mm. have to feel like I'm on um, in the way that I do sometimes when it's in shows where it's like you're the only black person in totally. the lineup yeah. or black or brown person really. Um, so that show and Biposity being the other show, but um, even to a degree with um, the show that I recently did with Frankie Menagerie because I had, you know, Moesha and Denisa backstage with mm. me and we always had a good time and a kiki with it because, again, just having that solidarity and that support backstage means the world there is a degree of like code switching and self-monitoring that you always find yourself having to do. Um, when you are the only black or brown face, the minority face in white spaces. So in as much as there have been people talking about wanting to open up those spaces and make them more inviting, um, it does put a lot of pressure on, you know, BIPOC folk expecting them to just enter those spaces blind when there is no one else in there with us. And very often we have to deal with you know, the pressures and the microaggressions and frankly, the bullshit. Um, <laughs> just because you, you want us in a space doesn't mean that it's safe. 
for us to be in. Yes, yeah. totally. Very important. Yeah. I'm going to let that sit with people for a second. Just 20 minutes of silence from here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, this is something that you need to yeah. think You're about. not allowed to press the 30-second button. You no. just have to sit through this for a minute. Just, just feel, feel the weight of that. <laughs> right. While we're in this really good space of you – saying like incredibly profound things. For someone who came in here being like, I've got no words in my head. You've just (laughs) this is perfect. Um, We actually have a question from one of our listeners. Mm -hmm. Remember, everyone, if you want to ask one of our fantastic artists a question, you can email us, waexposepod at Mm gmail.com. This question is, I'm sick of being known as the big girl in my local scene. Please don't say my name. How can I approach that conversation with people and explain that I'm much more without making it seem like I'm fat phobic? I love my size, but that's not all I am. Anonymous. Okay. So full disclosure, I have come back in to answer this one (laughs) because last time I was just rattling things off the dome and um, given that Aria was kind enough to send through a preview for me to listen to, I was kind of like, not very happy with the way I answered it last time. I do really appreciate you coming back in to re-record your answer to it because it's like um, these are like quite big questions that we're getting sent in from our lovely audience and I appreciate it so much, but it's, yeah, it's good to let it sit for a moment. Yeah, I did want to kind of give it the attention and the weight that it deserves mm. rather than just kind of being like, oh, you know, it's it's this and it's that. <laughs> um, so here we go. I have notes this time, which Love is it. very good. So, um, you know, right off the top, what you said, it's not really a question that there is a simple answer to. Mm. And I do feel personally that I haven't spoken up about it much over the years, at least not publicly. Um, and that I can probably credit to a degree of kind of having a mindset of putting my head down and letting my work speak for itself. Mm. But at the same time, it does take all kinds. Um, I can acknowledge at this point that I was to a degree in survival mode. (laughs) No, that's so important for you to like to say as well, because it's not necessarily your job to fix Mm. all of these things in the industry. Yeah. So um, with that point, I'm answering specifically from my perspective. So a black woman, a queer woman, as well as a plus sized woman or a fat woman. Um, I don't know, <laughs> to be fair, I don't know the ethnicity or gender of the asker. Mm-hmm. But um, I do know in a lot of cases, it does take a degree of security and privilege to speak out about issues within a a scene or a community without any um, backlash or with minimal backlash. Mm. But I can only applaud anyone who desires to do so, I will say, on top of that. So, um, again, like mentioned in the question, um, being viewed um, solely and boiled down to, you know, the fat performer is direct result of fat phobia. Mm. And fat phobia is systemic bigotry um it creates a societal hatred for fatness that convinces straight-sized people that gaining fat is the worst possible thing that can happen to them and unsurprisingly um burlesque is part of society we live (laughs) we live in a society shockingly shockingly we are all here all at the same time yep completely (laughs) and yeah so there are a lot of you know kind of the fat phobic stereotypes that um happen within burlesque i mean just to go for examples of some of the ones that i witnessed myself is um the assumption that fat performers are not dancered 
let me try that word again. <laughs> um, the, the assumption that fat performers are not dancers yeah. is what I meant to say. Um, and often there'll be like coded phrases used like dancers, body, um, you know, kind of similar to the way on, you know, dating websites where um, people will say that they're looking for someone athletic oh, or God, active, yes. you yeah. know. Yeah, I used to be so clueless. Little Someone me. with a fit mindset. <laughs> yeah, I would just I would just avoid that so much simply because I am um, part sloth, I feel. But um, <laughs> I, I did not get that at all. It wasn't until I was on socials and other fat women were talking about dating and they're like, oh, yeah, people weeding you out by saying or trying to weed you out by saying they're looking for someone active or who's into fitness. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's what that's about. And the multitude of assumptions that it has there when they go, like, I'm looking for someone who eats healthily. And it's like, well, you don't know anything about my life or the reason that I look a certain way. It's very strange to just be like, okay, cool. So if I ate a salad and still showed up to you fat, would that be acceptable to you? Probably not. Probably not. Again, we can do a whole separate podcast oh, God, on the bullshit I... that is dating apps <laughs> and how fat baby affects that. Yeah. We love it. Um <laughs> topic yeah the whole point of the dancer body and for the um the plus size the fat i'm i'm using both words because i don't know how people self-identify totally. some people don't like using the word fat for themselves mm. i'm an either or kind of girl but the plus size and fat dancers who are like dancer dancers as in you know like the dancers within the scene who started when they were, you know, doing ballet when they were three or five. Yeah. And then as soon as they got a pair of tits, were told to leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's, that's the story. <laughs> Those ones. They get like backhanded compliments. Um, direct example. I remember Trigger Happy uh, basically having a direct interaction with an audience member that he documented online where he said the audience member was basically in disbelief that he could, you know, do his high oh kicks God, and yeah. his drop splits and yeah. was basically telling him, like, you shouldn't be able to do that. And he's kind of like, I can do it. Like, you literally you watched it. me yeah. do it. Like, what is this conversation? Did you not buy a ticket to this show? Were you not sitting there in the front row? Yeah. Uh, Trigger, for anyone who doesn't know, is an incredible uh, plus size performer based in Queensland. Yeah. Uh, the founder and creator of Shrekless, too. Yes, yeah. yes. We love Trigger. Um, and other, other you know, backhanded compliments is where, you know, they they people will single out the plus size performer, whether it's in a group routine or as a soloist, and be like, oh, yeah, their dancing is just sloppy. Sloppy. Oh. If you are a plus size dancer and you have heard that your dancing is sloppy, just just know you, you might have not been aware. You might but, be entitled to compensation. I mean, <laughs> uh, another one, and I have to say this very carefully mm. because I know that comedy is a staple in burlesque, and there is absolutely nothing wrong if you are a plus size performer if you are. Pl- if you're a fat performer, with being like, comedy is my specialty or I really enjoy doing comedy and I have an affinity for comedy. But one of the facts is that being um, a fat person, the possibility of getting pigeonholed Mm. into comedy in burlesque is a lot higher, especially with the potential for audience members who are like lay people, maybe people not in the scene, but also potentially people in the scene um, laughing at you and seeing your body itself as a punchline rather than laughing with you and seeing the performance as a whole. Um, 
on top of that, other stereotypes, we're just running through the list. Yeah. I told you I have no, notes. I love this. This, like, the way you're going through your notes, I, I think that it's really precise and exact, and I think we're going to get to the root of all fat phobia. <laughs> yes, we're going right to solve it. You right listen now. You listen to this podcast, and we will absolve fat phobia <laughs> by the end. <laughs> so um, other stereotypes are, you know, big performers on top of comedy being loud and sassy. Mm. Other, coincidentally, stereotypes that are often applied to uh, BIPOC, specifically black women, mm. um, are put on fat or plus-sized um, white performers in the absence of BIPOC performers being present, which as a whole is, isn't is super surprising as um, fat phobia often goes hand in hand with anti-black bigotry. Completely. But it might not be two dots that people have connected before in between those being like, okay, well, if I don't have any BIPOC performers in my lineup, then being somebody plus size, that's my diversity. Congratulations. I've done the damn thing, Mm. which isn't in itself worthy of any praise. Yeah. No. And that relates directly into my next point, which is the idea of the diversity hire, Mm. hiring a token mid-size or plus size performer. Mid-size is like a new term. That was like not a thing to three years ago yeah the kids have started calling themselves that uh back in the day I think the terminology used was just like you know small fat or on the smaller side of being plus size but mid-size is a thing so again I don't know how people self-identify yep. just throwing it in totally there. but um getting your token mid-size plus size performer um this is slightly improving but again similar to if you've got like a show lineup where there is only one minority performer Mm. in the entire lineup, Um, whether they be fat, whether they be a person of colour, whether they be a queer person, whether they be a non-cis person, kind of having just the one that at this point it's it's a choice and it's especially kind of shitty if a producer chooses to use the fact that they've hired the one, you know, that one performer as a shield for criticism if people are like completely well like you know we need more diversity they'll be like but 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 i hired i hired this one i hired a fat so (laughs) you can't tell me that i'm not i'm not diverse which means so much because it means that initially when you were producing that show Mm. you only saw that person for their size and not for the incredible work that they can do beyond that and beyond that, you put the weight of all expectations of diversity as a whole on that singular person you hired, which is not fair either. Right. And that person, you're opening up that person to attack if mm. people are viewing them, you know, like as a token or yeah. as they're like if they're enabling this practice when truly, like all of us, people are just trying to get hired and get gigs. Yeah, yeah completely. <laughs> Especially post-pandemic. A hundred percent. Go get your job. So whether it's, you know, systemic or targeted, the result is the same. Fat performers, we often get less opportunities than straight-sized performers. There's like a whole discussion to be had about that related it to corporate bookings, which I'll touch on a little bit, Mm. Um, because the few opportunities that we do get they often run the risk of pigeonholing us into those stereotypes, especially if it isn't, you know, fat performers or fat producers 
behind mm-hmm. the scenes, mm-hmm. um, you know, actually helping develop and create these shows. Related to the kind of corporate gigs, there were actually two discussion threads online on Facebook. Time is a circle right now, so I want to <laughs> say it was last week, but it was probably longer. It could have um, been 1994. It, it could have, <laughs> listen. Or it, 2027. Like, all it, of this it is possible. very much, it could be something that hasn't happened yet. Look, yeah. but whenever you're listening to this, whether it be in the future past or right now just it was a week ago <laughs> sure um so one of the threads was kind of led by Jezebel Express who is an amazing um plus size performer burlesque performer that's based in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and Jeez Louise who is um another um, burlesque performer in the U.S. um she's not plus size but she is a black performer who has um spoken out a lot about the treatment of um BIPOC performers mm-hmm. within um her local burlesque scene and that was the discussion that they had around um, corporate booking. So to mention the fact that um, G's is not plus-sized is that it was an intersectional discussion and it was around corporate and lay people's perception of burlesque, but it brought up a point to me that I've never really sat and thought about, about how in a lot of ways size discrimination is just kind of accepted Mm. with corporate geeks. Mm Because as speaking as someone who is a member of the troupe and has been for a couple of years, um, the reality is that in my experience, um, as a plus size performer, you don't really get considered for corporate gigs unless you have been specifically requested. Mm, that seems like a circle. How can you get requested if you're never put up for these positions? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a self-fulfilling yeah, kind prophecy, of yeah. thing. <laughs> and um, even if you are requested a lot of troop roving or showgirl costumes like they have a set size Mm. and it's not my size basically (laughs) so um and again just just to make a very firm point um I'm not saying that I want those gigs because Lord knows I hate to rove and interact and make small talk. Good God (laughs) um but it's the worst thing ever um and but and also online there was a discussion that, um, as part of the discussion rather, they were talking about um, if it is something that if you do have that belief system and you do believe in allowing all body sizes, all ethnicities, all genders, um, allowing that equality within burlesque, if you have a responsibility to, you know, turn down prospective clients who um, request performers with a specific body type. Again, going back to that coded, Mm. we want athletics. We want dancers' bodies out of principle. And again, I can't really speak on that because I don't run a troupe and my mindset of being like, well, yeah, you should turn that that gig down if you don't agree with the beliefs of the client comes from a very idealistic place. And I think Mm. sometimes – people choose to be practical, especially when it comes to finances. They might not have the luxury of, you know, being idealistic and going with their principles rather than just accepting the status quo. But again, larger discussion, big. (laughs) Yeah, a much larger discussion and probably one that I I hope people listening can can start because it probably is pretty important that we start to forego uh, financial success in lieu of like uh, uplifting our entire community and not just part of it. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. It is an important one that does need to be had. I agree. Um, so in terms of like the actual issue, I'm afraid that I don't really have any direct scripts for addressing like micro and macro aggressions in mm. the moment. Um, I would suggest that you do what feels right, go with your gut, essentially. Um, understand that you might need to pick your battles in mm. terms of addressing things and also um, do your best to call in when possible, have it like a one-on-one -on -one discussion with the individual rather than calling out. Although calling out is sometimes necessary, it can devolve into like, you know, just people dogpiling on each other, especially if it happens in the form of text posts online. Mm. And if the goal is to educate, I'm assuming the goal is to educate rather than do like, you know, a, snassy, a sassy callback, yep. which sometimes <laughs> is satisfying. But yep. um, if the goal is to educate, try and call in when you can. Um just going on to advise this individual directly, this is a point that I raised last time, but I do think that it needed more structure. Um, one of the things that um, as performers we kind of have to um, make peace with is the way that other people perceive you is largely outside of your control. Mm. Um there was a point raised by um, a video that I watch all the time by like a YouTuber called Adam Ragusea, <laughs> who's <Wow>. a chef. <laughs> he's a chef of all things. Yeah. No, he's not a chef. I, same mistake last time. He's not a chef. He's a cook um, because he doesn't have the training. Of course. Yes. Um, which we must make that distinction. <laughs> but he has like a, a, a great video where he, which he talks about called um, what, um, watch this before you blow up on YouTube because he kind of, he used to be a university um, lecturer, but then his YouTube channel blew up when mm. a, a video went viral and now, or at least he was before the adpocalypse, I'm not sure where he is now, <laughs> he was in a place where um, basically he could quit his job and yeah. make YouTube videos full time. So um, the article he, or rather the lecture that he put up was like a mini version of a lecture he said he used to give to his students and he talks about the point of um, Janie Lane, who was the frontman for the 80s hairband Warrant Ooh. and um, known for the song Cherry Pie. Mm -hmm. And um, Janie Lane had developed a rep like later in his life um, that he absolutely hated that song. Like he he detested it. He was like, I wrote the song in like five minutes and everyone's obsessed with it and it's the only thing that people care about. And he yeah. just like twisted him up inside and he really hated it. But um, the larger point of the lecture is you don't really get to choose your hit. So mm. in a larger sense, relating that back to you don't get to choose what other people decide is memorable about you especially within entertainment where everyone has like you know a type and again going back to that you know being practical over being idealistic mm -hmm. people do sometimes make the choice as to whether they want to play up their type or um otherwise you have the choice to subvert it but in again in the sense of wanting to be more than being a plus size performer always try to keep your mind frame in in that you are yes and so again relating back maybe you are a plus size performer and a dancer maybe you are a plus size performer and a singer maybe you are a plus size performer who also does contortion and circus mm. tricks it's always a yes and it's never i'm just because of course um 
understand wanting to be more than just one thing, but at the same time, you do have to fundamentally remind yourself because the Lord knows the world tries to convince <laughs> you it's not the case, yep. that there is nothing wrong with being, you know, a fat or a BIPOC or an LGBTQ, etc. performer. So with that being said, you're not obligated to behave accordingly to other people's perspective of you. So again, story I told last time when I started out, there was a specific act um, that I was advised that leaning into the energy of being a big black lady mm. would be best. So um, and I've, I've touched on it before, the expectation to kind of, and the pressure I felt within the scene to um, kind of perform and behave like a sassy black woman was something that really went against, against, if I can get the right word out, um, (laughs) my nature as an antisocial little weirdo. Um, So so it was something that really made me deeply unhappy and it didn't really work for me. So um, even from the market, I, I eventually made peace with that act and like was like, it's a specific character. It's not me as a whole. And especially mm. since I've built up so much more of my can- canon, that that's just one side of the act. And I'm like, if anyone's expecting that to be my standard, <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for disappointing you, except I don't really. I'm just saying I'm sorry to be polite. Um, <laughs> I love that. I think that um, it's a, also a reminder that artists are allowed to grow and change their mind on things too and they don't have to continue pulling out the that one hit just because you're a fan of it late like mm. 10 years later that's not something that is owed to you yeah exactly as um as an artist you do get to choose um what you put out to your audience and again it's very often that battle between you know doing what you know is marketable and what doing what you actually want to mm. do but sometimes um you you decide to play it down the line and sometimes you may be surprised and end up coming up with something that you want to do that does work for audiences so um going on to the next point i'm sorry i'm really going down this dot point no, list. i, I love so this every single dot point let's do it i'm here for it um so uh i do just want you to make sure that you don't shrink yourself to ease the discomfort mm. of others because um again speaking personally um one of my biggest regrets when i got started and was less secure as a performer was feeling like i had to make jokes and be self-deprecating to make other people comfortable um when all that does is actually um, make them feel comfortable repeating your words back to you and giving you less of a leg to stand on in terms of calling Mm. them out. Like, especially around diversity hire, I used to joke about being the diversity hire and then eventually had people repeating that back to me, even though they were supposedly friends. And it was um, said in a joking context, it's still like, this mm, this is something that was fine, and I I did snotty quotation marks when I said fine <laughs> for people. <laughs> for everyone's visuals, yeah. <laughs> um, when I said it, but still, even not the funniest joke to make. A little, a little bit of like a racial pick me joke, mm. if I'm honest. Um, and then, yeah, having people come back and be like, "Oh, I think you're getting gigs for diversity." It's like that's no, you don't, you don't say that. You don't ever say that, um, even if we're friends. Mm. But. Um, and just um, in in the mind of comfort, getting back to that, um, confronting bigotry, even from an educational standpoint, is rarely going to be comfortable. And again, as part of having discussions with people, you need to make peace with letting people feel their discomfort as a result of their own actions, because it is part of the process. Mm-hmm. 
Um, also, I do want to un- make sure that you understand that you being visible is important in and of itself. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, being um, inspiring for just existing is like kind of a cringy idea, yeah. I will admit. It is. But um, again, that doesn't mean that your visibility doesn't have impact. Like I can remember every instance over the years that someone's told me that watching me perform has inspired them to start or just to take chances in Mm. general. Um, So we, we are very much still at the stage where kind of the, hey, this kind of diversity shows need to exist like t for t they recently had that on the east coast i loved the concept of yeah, that t for t is uh, something that i'm like oh, can i fly there and just see right now it's an amazing show anna piper scott has done a lot of hard work on that production yeah it's it looks so excellent i'm like i am delighted and mm. i hope people like respect the premise of it because it'll be so wonderful to have that space um but also shows like biposity and mm. um thighs to mention two local shows biposity um being a show put on by Jojo Firestar um, to um, basically highlight and celebrate um, racially diverse performers yeah. um, within Western Australia. Coming to Fringe stage. 2023. <laughs> Coming to Fringe 2023, exactly. I may or may not be in it. Wink. Um, <laughs> guess you'll have to come and watch. Mm. Um, and also Thighs. Thighs is another show that was coach produced by, of course, the wonderful Sugar DuJour and the wonderful um, Didi Luscious mm. as well. Um, that is a show um, primarily about, you know, um, femmes living in fat bodies mm. and how that has, you know, affected their lives, a lot of them doing really personal acts. I, unfortunately, have not gotten around to see it yet and I'm kicking myself. Oh, my gosh. I remember seeing it if- um, this year and just being in tears for most of it. It was a very, very good production. Yeah. Oh, I really, really hope that they bring it back. Me so too. So I, I don't know if can... it's coming back for 2023, but would you like thighs with that? Go and search it, everyone. Absolutely. But th- those shows, we're at a stage where those shows are necessary, like, again, just for a visibility standpoint, mm. but they are not the end point because ideally for me speaking of my end goal would be having just a show where the entire lineup is um quote unquote did the snotty hand quotes again (laughs) for you there um diverse performers but it's not for any particular reason yes that's just the show um i am a bit impatient because i want it to be like that now yeah (laughs) but i do think that um It'll be a little while before we get there, but I live in hope. I live in hope that it will happen while I'm still in the scene. Um, Also, important thing at the end of all of my Very important things, yes. (laughs) Is to make sure that you take care of yourself Mm. because um, whether it's within the community or outside the community, make sure that you have your team, you, so basically your people who, um, your people, your persons, um, and respite to fall back on. Because taking on this kind of work of anti-discrimination, it does demand a lot of mental energy and emotional energy for you because it's pretty high stakes um you you've got (laughs) it's about you it's about your person it's about your personhood it's about the body that you live in that's not really something that you're able to detach Mm. yourself from and the whole idea of activist burnout is a very real thing so make sure that you are resting 
and replenishing your mind, body, and spirit as much as you can. Um, so from that, just some resources, things to give yourself the language to speak up for yourself. Um, I already brought her up, but Jezebel Express, she is, like we said, and I will repeat it, an incredible plus-sized burlesque performer based in the US. She's across all socials, as far as I'm aware, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. And very often on her Facebook as well, she will put up a lot of work, which um, I am thankful that she does it because she's doing it for no cost and mm. she's putting out this information for people to learn about the realities of respecting and being a fat performer in her local burlesque scene. Um, there's also in terms of just um, self-care and performance is healing. Pearl Noir is a really great resource as well. And again, across all socials, she's available. Um, there's also the book, um, This Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor, um, that is just on the principle of radical self-acceptance, but that's for feeding yourself mm. and feeding your soul. Um, I can advocate for that. That's a great resource. I've read it. Um, the one that I haven't read is Fear It, but I'm trying to get my hands on a copy, is um, Fearing the Black Body because that goes more into the topic that I mentioned of how fat phobia and anti-black racism kind of go hand in hand. Again, mm. these are just recommendations if you want resources, if you want language, if you want information to like basically back up um, the work that you're going to take on and the discussions that you're going to have with people. So... After all that, um, I hope that your brain isn't completely fried and <laughs> um, I do hope that this helps you and I wish you all the best on your journey. Oh my goodness. I'm going to put all of those resources in the show notes. So um, not just for our question asker, but anybody who's interested in any of this work, and I suggest that we all take a moment to be a bit more interested in this work, Absolutely. you can find um, these resources in the show notes today. And I have to say a big thank you for all of the emotional labor that you put into answering that question and oh. coming back and re-recording with me. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I appreciate it so much. I think that, yeah, our, as our audience expands and we're getting so many people listening to this show now, it's mm. it's so it's so great that, that people take consideration into the little babies who are asking questions. I, yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Aria. Like I said, it didn't, it didn't sit well with me afterwards. And I was like, I, I feel like I need to come back and do this right. Yeah. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. No, completely. I think that it's also like taught me a bit in like the whole question section of this podcast. I probably need to re-examine mm -hmm. and just give a little bit more thought to like the questions that are coming in and the notice that I give my wonderful artists. <laughs> No, they just come in and I go, oh, I've got this really casual question about fat fiber. You reckon you can just answer it right now? Um, Maybe not. <laughs> maybe that's something we can re-examine here on WA Expose. We're all, oh. all, all always learning and that's very good for everybody here. Yeah, it's a journey. It certainly is. <laughs> um, you've plugged some incredible socials. Make sure you plug yours again before we finish off this pod. Sure. I'm at Malika Moon on most things um, with three O's. So that's on Instagram, Facebook and um. TikTok. I forgot what it was called for a second, <laughs> um, but I would be most active on Instagram. Fantastic. You'll find these links in the show notes as well. Uh, as always, um, I just wanted to remind everyone that if you like this podcast, you can like us on social media, rate and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> I would say a massive thank you to Malika for joining me today and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. Have a good day. WA Expose is an independent production. 
Our artwork was created by George Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlet and M. Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlet.com forward slash WA Expose. Take a moment. Is the tea a little cooler than it was um, a minute ago? (laughs) It is still approximately the temperature of the sun, but it's better than it was. (laughs) There we go. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.